So we, we understand then that there was a generation, first generation of Christians, who literally walked and talked with Jesus. And upon the testimony of these men and the infallibility of the Bible, Christians believe unto salvation and eternal life. These men saw and heard and touched the living God, made man. <clears throat> but blessed are those, we believe, who believe not having seen and heard him. Well, hello and welcome to That They Might Know, a podcast between Joe Durso, author of The, uh, the Jesus You Need to Know, and Gregory Treat, his co-host. Uh, that's me. So we are going to be talking today about how you can know if you are saved, if you're a Christian, if you are in the body. It's a fairly important topic, and it, it gets some mention here and there, but we really want to dive deep and take a look at what the Bible has to say and the impact that should have on our life and practice. So, so I think the, the topic that we wanted to get into is, starts with a question. And that question is, how can we know that we have eternal life? Pretty important question, right? Uh, I would say the most important question any person can ask or answer and in response to that question, uh, I have to refer to the Bible. You know, we are the two people who are Christians, which means that our focus, uh, re our reliance is upon the truth. And we both believe that the Bible is the only place we can find that truth. Absolutely agree. Um, well, and, and I think this question of how can we know we have eternal life is so so related to you know our human condition it's it's why it's one you know it's 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 the hidden thing that's pushing you know all of our medical science stuff right everyone wants to live longer everyone wants to have better quality of life and when we get into you know the definition of, of eternal life later we're gonna we're gonna find that this is it this is that thing that you've been looking for all your life so so let's just get right into it Joe what do you got well we want to answer the question why believe the Bible is true and right I mean that's that's big for our every episode you're gonna hear on this program um, and on this podcast and the, the the answer to why the Bible is true and it's right, and why we rely on it so much is because it's a unique book. I mean, it's a really unique book. How many books can we say have taken, you know, approximately 1,200 years to write? Uh, they've been written by, like, over 40 different authors in three different languages, and it has one unified it's theme. It's a, it's a book that, after studying it for more than 40 years, in my case... Uh, I, I can't find an error in it. The more that I study it, the more perfect it becomes. Um, all that's lacking in understanding the scripture is in me. And, and this isn't just me, but this is but thousands of people in, upon thousands in history that testify to this book in this way. Um, you know, you know the old story. You go through ten people with one story, and at the end of those ten people, it's you know all obscured and messed up. And, and this book, 
this book is a miracle book. So, uh, and so much more could be said about that. Um, I'm not going to take the time to go into it in this episode. Uh, but, you know, so, so that brings us to what's the purpose of the book. Um, and before I add my two cents into that, just give me a feedback on what I've been just saying. Well, I think it's, it's we're talking about the foundations of our understanding of everything. You know, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is our, this is one of those expressions of the fear of the Lord, that the Bible is the book that contains the way to life, the way to eternal life. And, and, you know, again, just, just to kind of tease us a little bit, I think that it's important to remember that in the Bible, eternal life doesn't mean what you live in right now going on forever, never ceasing, right? That, that actually is the definition of hell. If, if our lives as they are in this fallen world with our fallen bodies and our fallen minds and, and all the fallen things around us, if that were just to continue forever and ever and we didn't have, the, the, frankly, the grace of a lifespan, that would be hell, and what the Bible promises in, in eternal life is just a renewing of everything. And it's it's everything that we've always longed for. That's the eternal life that's promised. So let's uh, let's let's talk about it. <laughs> and, and upon that thought, great. I'm gonna I want to look at a few verses from the Apostle John's first letter. And in that book, in, in uh, the fifth chapter, in the 13th verse, it describes to us why he wrote the book. He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So these are believers. So that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you have eternal life. That's a big question, you know, we, I ask people, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain you would go to heaven? Do you know you have eternal life? And the basic answer that you get from people uh, when you ask that question is, well, I mean, nobody can know that, can they? Or you can't know that. That's the, written, that's the reason that this, this special book and this special letter was written. That those who believe may know. So it's possible to believe and not know you have eternal life. Or it is possible to think you believe. Uh, and think you have eternal life. Well, we're not going to go there right now. We're, right now we're going to w- how it is possible for people to know they have eternal life. And I want to say this. The power of the Christian is the power to lay down their life purely out of love and deep gratitude without any self-aggrandizement and hope that their self-sacrifice will lead to gaining eternal life. Let me say that again. The power of the Christian is the power to lay down their life purely out of love and deep gratitude. Now, that's the difference between a person who's trying to earn their way to heaven out of their own sense of somehow self-righteousness, as if there is anything as self-righteousness in a fallen race in the hope that they will gain access to heaven by being good in and of themselves. Christianity turns that completely on its head. 
It begins with man needing to repent of sin. It begins with our sinfulness before a holy God. And in a world in which we live, it boggles the mind, really, that people should struggle with this. And the only thing that makes sense in that is that we look at others and we see people worse than ourselves. Well, I'm not Adolf Hitler, you know, and in light of the fact that I'm not Adolf Hitler, maybe I'm not such a bad guy. But the fact is, we all do miserably if we want. If we want to, you know, really admit the truth, we gossip about others, we judge wrongfully, we're judgmental, we, we're prejudiced, I mean, go down, proud, on and on and on. Just what the Bible lays out, the Ten Commandments lays out, the law, and you look at the law, and if you look at the law just steadfastly, you come to the conclusion, wow, I'm, I'm really not that good. Well, and Joe, I think I'd go, I'd go a little bit further than that. Not, not only am I not good personally but i don't know anyone that's good in this biblical sense i i've never heard of anyone that's good in this biblical sense except this one guy that lived a thousand two thousand years ago you know give or take and my society as a whole we are set up to promote sin that i live in a world where every day i am tempted and people that, that think of themselves as just as good as you, right? I'm just as good as you. And they go to work or they go here or there and they, they participate in sin. They engage in sin. They tempt others to sin. They, they do things deliberately and as a, as a pattern and practice of their lives that are unlawful. I mean, and then that, that kind of plays into, you know this because you don't really want your life to last forever, right? If, if your life was good, if you were, if we were genuinely good, we'd, we'd be happy to keep going just the way we are, but we don't want to do that, right? We want, we want, we know we need something to change. When you talk to people about what it would be like to live for 500 years or a thousand years, uh, they think that's kind of cool. And then you start talking about what if you live for 10,000 years? What if you live for a million years, as you are right now, with your your patterns and your your little bits of insanity growing every year? What would you become? And you, and you ask that question to people, and, and very quickly it becomes apparent that they know they're not good. They know that they have the, the seeds of the worst kind of wickedness in them, and that they'd rather die than live that long, which is interesting. Well, and I want to add to that, that, <clears throat> you know, Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And what you're talking about, even though I think at a conscious level, at a conscience level, you know, all men, we all know we're not good. Um, but the person who's born again, we, I know you're going to agree, takes that to an, a whole different dimension. You know, what opens up is the truth. And in the truth, you see sin for what it really is. I think mm -hmm. the unregenerate, the, those who are not born again, might answer your question, at least in their head. They might not, I don't know how they might mouth it to you, but in their head they're thinking, yeah, I'd, I'd like to live 10,000 years just the way I am. We, having our eyes open... No, uh, you know, not in any reason in us, but because of the grace of God who caused us to be born again. Uh, we, we see sin 
at a magnitude that far extends beyond an unregenerate person, person who's mm-hmm. not born again. Um, mm-hmm. So we're we want to we're putting the law first, looking at sin first. John, when he opens his first letter, he begins at the beginning, and he says, "What was from the beginning?" This is in chapter one, verse one. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So into this world that you and I are born, and everyone is born, into this human race that has fallen in sin, came a person who was divine, didn't belong here, was the second person of the divine trinity, uh, uh, three persons in one almighty God, enters into this race and becomes one with us in order to manifest Almighty God in a, in a way very tangible that we can see and understand. Not infinite, not omnipresent, which we can't never wrap our minds around, but here's a, a person, a man just like us, and, and living like us, but not. He's living without sin. He's perfect. And these men... They, they could touch him, feel him. They could hear him, see what he did, walk with him for three years, and their testimony of him is that he's exactly who he said he was, that he is the eternal, everlasting God in human form. And upon this, the Christian faith is built. You want to add to that? Well... I mean, you just think of, of what, what the men did, right? You know, you, there's, there's books, whole books about, you know, like the case for Christ, about what happened to these apostles. I mean, they, they so radically altered our world. They so, and then think about that, you know, uh, a tax collector, a couple of fishermen, some herders, you know, I mean, these were... These were not who you bet on, you know, in first century Judea to, to have any impact on the, the the most powerful empire on earth at the time, right? And yet, mm-hmm. yep. something you know that the, you know the whole case for Christ question you know, that it it demands an answer of how on earth could these twelve men shake the entire world what happened to them that they had such faith such courage such conviction that everyone that met them for the rest of their lives and even you know two generations down in the in the kind of spiritual family of the church so people that had been taught by the apostles teaching their their, the spiritual grandchildren of the apostles were so convinced of the truths of these things that they they had an earth-shattering effect on 
on the on their world. Something something manifestly unusual happened to them. This was not this was not just business as usual. So we we, we understand then that there was a generation, first generation of Christians, who literally walked and talked with Jesus. And upon the testimony of these men and the infallibility of the Bible, Christians believe unto salvation and eternal life. These men saw and heard and touched the living God, made man. <clears throat> but blessed are those, we believe, who believe not having seen and heard him. So on one occasion, Jesus appeared to his disciples after having been raised from the dead, the, the hallmark of the Christian faith. And in particular, Thomas, who had not seen him yet, and neither did he believe that Christ had risen from the dead. And we read uh, of this in John 20, 26 to 29. This is the Gospel of John. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, this is a glorified body, resurrection body goes through walls and he says peace be with you then he said to thomas singling out thomas reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believe and here's thomas answered and said to him my lord and my god jesus said to him because you have seen me, have you believed? Question mark. But are they, blessed are they who do not see and yet believe? And upon this hallmark is the Christian faith built on just that faith. Faith that receives the promise of God, faith that believes in the promise of God, faith that let me give a, a real quick story here. So there's two men, and they were on the top of a building, 10-story building, and it was on fire. And there was no way down, no way out. Uh, police uh, fire truck shows up. The men jump out. They pull out a great big net, and they're waiting for these guys to jump off the building. So the one guy says, I'm, you know, I'm going to jump, and the other guy says, I can't do it. And he says, well, don't you believe that the net's strong enough to, yeah, yeah, I believe the net. Well, don't you believe that the firemen are, are capable of catching you? And he, I believe that. Uh, but he, he, he just didn't have this necessary f trust to jump off. The, and so the ones go, well, I'm done. And he jumped. Now, the difference between saving faith and just believing something with your head, but it's not saving, is that commitment to jump. And this is where Thomas was. And this is where Thomas became an apostle and not only jumped there, but the rest of his life proclaimed that even unto, even unto death because he died a martyr. So trials may distress the Christian, but they are not enough to destroy their faith. Now, this is a person who's a Christian by the grace of God, by the power of God. We understand this isn't what's in man. And I'm not trying to point to men and say Christians are different people. We're sinners saved by grace. And that's why Peter tells in his epistle in uh, the first chapter and 6 through 8, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, 
you have been distressed by various trials, and every Christian knows the reality of that statement to some extent or another, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's for his praise and glory and honor. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And so uh, it's at this that we're looking to Christ. We understand our faith is built on him and not ourselves. And we understand that when trials come, it's not about our strength. It's not about anything in us, really, except our faith in him. And, and, and with that thought, I want to bring this uh, short episode uh, to a conclusion. I want to give you the last word and add you know, to what I've been talking about. Well, I, I think that you know, as we, as we end something like this, we have to remember, I think just to, to give that, that, that final piece, which is the eternal life that we're talking about that is is a new life that that happens because when you believe in Jesus Christ when you acknowledge that he not just that he is worth that he is worth your service that he is worth your life that his sacrifice on the cross entitles him to your worship and your service when you when you so first first you have to acknowledge that and we just sit there for a moment and acknowledge that Christ is worth everything you are because he redeemed you and he he made a way to to save you from the consequences of the life that you have now then what happens after that is you have to actually serve him and when god and, and you know there's these these complicated theological principles that that when you come out of it you'll realize that Christ was always there with you and, and that it was Christ that was doing all the work to begin with and it was Christ that was mediating between you and, and, and softening and ordaining your steps and doing everything necessary to bring you out of this. But in terms of what you're going to experience in, in that moment, in that moment of eternal life, you're going you're gonna to have to feel yourself, understand yourself to, to kneel before your King and your Lord and say, I'm going to serve you. And then you've got to get up and actually do it. And when you do that, Christ responds and he places his life within you. The same kind of spiritual life that he has himself. And it's that, that new life that's in you right now when you become Christian, that's eternal life. And, and sooner or later, it's going to catch up with your physical body. That's the promise. It hasn't quite yet. But, but the important work is already done. You know, it's it, the, the, the sea change of what happens when someone gains eternal life is so overwhelming, is so significant in, in the, the spiritual realms that, you know, having the, the physical body catch up after 60 or 70 or 80 years or whatever is, is almost an afterthought. It's not quite an afterthought because God has a plan and, and, and us having redeemed bodies is part of that plan, but... In terms of this, for, for you personally, the significance of what happens when you're saved is almost, it's almost impossible to overstate. 
and that then you can you can pursue new life you can love you can lay down your life because you have been changed you know i know several people that uh grew up in a muslim background and are now believers and they talk about when i changed when i changed and that's that's what it means to have eternal life that you have been changed and that you get to experience the blessings of right relationship with god and so you can have joy and you can have peace and you can move away from your own internal lusts and start to do right <laughs> in in the world that's that's a miracle again that that was kind of the point of of the earlier discussion of how how hard it is how how despicable everything is in our current setup when you realize that that this new life this new animating principle actually moves you you know that's what an animating principle is an animating principle is something that moves you and so Christ has placed a new animating principle within you and it moves you to do right and to serve God and to love God and to be filled with his spirit and there's so much so much you could go down that road and I'll just I'll just quit by saying it is the best thing that ever was or ever is and we to the extent that you don't know what we're, what we're talking about to the extent that you haven't met God we earnestly plead with you there is nothing like it and it is the best thing that you could possibly have so you can have eternal life and you can know it and answering these questions is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life you know here on this earth <laughs> <laughs>